Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two in the thoracic aorta. And we left off last time mentioning that one of the key things in terms of doing accurate thoracic aortic imaging is being able to measure the size of a thoracic aorta. And of course, there are many ways of doing it. The real question is, what is the correct method? And we mentioned yesterday that maximum size of the aorta is up to four centimeters, descending three centimeters abdominal aorta, typically quoted in the two plus centimeter range, and recognizing that you operate on the aorta often based on size measurements, ascending over 5.5, descending over 6.5, and an increase in aneurysm size of over a centimeter. So you need to be very accurate. And one of the things I think many people, including ourselves, have noticed is that measurements often vary because where do people take measurements? Was it from the axial? Was it from the sagittal? Even it's from the sagittal, which measurement is correct? The 4 or the 4.3? I mean, that's a big difference. That aneurysm is growing or it's shrinking or it's staying the same. What measurement are you exactly using? And that becomes very, very critical. I mean, you can look at this case with a no, no doubt dilated ascending aorta. And then you do measurements, and you're getting a select measurement of those axial imaging. But in this case, as in the prior case, when you look at the coronal views, you notice that the aorta is ectatic. And so you can get very different measurements depending on which way you're measuring, axial, coronal, where do you put the exact line? Well, the, really the only way to do it is with a center tracking line. We you put two points in the aorta, the computer draws a line through the center, and then you travel through the center line and you could see you have the exact size. You can see, in fact, you have the exact volume. And more importantly, it's reproducible because you're getting around individual bias, angles of measurements, where you're measuring, all sorts of issues, and the computer's doing it. You can visually inspect it, which we always do. But here you have a very nice, very specific size measurement of the thoracic aorta. Another example, dilated ascending aorta, is ectatic. Good look at the patient's aortic valve. Here we come upward, looking at the ascending aorta, which is dilated. Again, question, what is the size? Again, put the line in the vessel. You can see I started from the valve down through the arch. And again, you could make it as far a line as you want. And now the computer stretches out that line, center line. We're looking at 4.9 centimeters as maximum dimension. And again, it's that visualization which makes things very simple. Now, it's not only in this example uh, where we're just following an ascending aorta, but in a patient like this who had coarctation uh, with repair, the question is, what's the stenosis? Where do you measure? How do you measure? Get all sorts of measurements that people will give you. But here again, center tracking line makes it very easy to define specifically where the highest grade stenosis is, what is the minimal uh, luminal diameter that you need to see. So again, very, very important. Same thing in another case, dilated sinus of Valsalva. Again, patient had repair. The question was, was the sinuses continuing to dilate? Was it stable? Yes, you can measure on this view and hopefully have a good center view as you scroll through the data sets. Or you could take something like this from a sagittal perspective. But again, you can see that the visualization of the area of the sinus of Valsalva, which is beneath the repair of the ascending aorta, is totally dependent on where you're measuring. And since we want to look at the entire graft, here you can see very nicely I put a line in from the root through the descending thoracic aorta. And you can see I've on the image on your right, I've kind of wiped out the uh, aorta so you can see just the pink line. 
And then here it is. Now I've stretched the vessel out. So now I have the entire aorta from the area beneath the repair, through the repair, through the distal descending thoracic aorta. And then I can rotate that around 360 degrees to make sure I have the best visualization. So again, I think the point I'm making and hopefully you're getting is that you need to have some sort of systematic way of doing measurements. Measuring something seems like the easiest thing in the world, but in an ectatic aorta, it's not. And this can lead to errors in diagnosis and management. Okay, what else? Uh, in the thoracic aorta, we also look at post-operative patients and pre-operative patients for stents, looking at complications. And I believe I gave you a talk a while back looking at stent complications from endoleak to fracture to expansion of the native uh, aneurysm. Uh, we know that uh, endovascular stent placement is very important and becoming very popular because of complications of thoracic aortic repair in elderly patients. Mortality rate, even in elective cases, up to 12%. Um, you know, and in non-elective cases, it's up to 40%. Now, the complications and indications, just some basic points, indications for endovascular stents which continue to expand aneurysms, acute and chronic dissection, penetrating ulcers, good application, intramural hematoma, uh, traumatic rupture and coarctation are all things we're seeing endovascular stents being placed in. The imaging helps guide the size of the stent and whether stent placement can be done. This article we published a couple years back looking at uh, defining potential candidates for stent graft placement and showing how 2D and 3D imaging is critical in preoperative imaging and postoperative assessment of these patients. And again, looking at those various complications. Now, the techniques we use are very much the same the techniques I've used before when I was showing you doing some measurements. So, for example, here, here's a complicated case. You can see very ectatic vessel, but you also see that the uh, the endovascular stent is kind of bended, and uh, we'll look at it again. You can see in this case, there's a large ulceration above the stent. It's a focal dissection with large ulceration, and here I'm playing around a little bit uh, with the parameters of volume rendering. So here you see the stent very nicely in the lumen, and here you just see the implant in place. And again, very ectatic. Those are the ones that are hard to visualize and understand. And so when I straighten things out, you see the focal dissection, you see the endovascular stent, you see the lack of complications. So again, very, very important to look at that. Recent article by Wang, luminal extraluminal changes to the aorta after uh, occur after endovascular stent grafting. It's important for the radiologists to understand this so they help with detecting complications from normal post-operative findings. Now in this article, and they spoke about endoleaks in the thoracic uh, stents, type 1, those that result from incomplete seal of the ends of the stent to the aortic wall. Type 2, resulting from retrograde flow of blood into the excluded lumen from patent branch vessels of the aorta. Type 3, resulting from junctional dehiscence or device degeneration. Type 4, from porosity of the stent. And type 5, increase in size of the excluded lumen without enhancement into the excluded lumen, which probably means you have very slow flow. And just a simple example, uh, we do make the point that we do non-contrast scans first. They can be low-dose scans, but you want to be able to know what the baseline appearance of the uh, excluded lumen is. And so when you give contrast, you can look very carefully at the aneurysm and the graft. And you can see from the sagittal views, look very carefully 
there, and here we can see uh, a subtle endo leak. So very, very nicely shown in this example. So those are the kind of complications we look at. Most endo leaks will resolve. Again, the key thing is that the aneurysm or the native aneurysm doesn't expand and the leak doesn't extend. Now, one of the things also we can look at, and here's a very nice example, is once patients have had surgery, there are all sorts of complications. We were following this patient just to make certain that the uh, root repair was satisfactory, but look at this filling defect we see, which is on the uh, cusp of the aortic valve, and actually we'll look at it in a few different views. Uh, the repair looks good. You see the excluded lumen, but look at that defect and that is actually a small vegetation on the valve. So you can see with very fast scanning, and particularly with gating, remember we spoke about gating the thoracic aorta, particularly ascending aorta. With gating, you're going to see these little findings. So again, very important to be able to visualize them. Uh, patient, aortic root repair that spared the aortic valve, nice visualization of the root repair, nice visualization of the valve, seen in a number of different projections. Here it is in a coronal and a 3D volume view, and here it is from axial to sagittal view. So again, I think hopefully I've shown you in these lectures is thoracic aortic imaging is something that's very important, a very common application, uh, but things that really are critical of protocol design and practice. Again, triggering becomes very critical. You got to get the right timing. Gating, if you're looking at the ascending aorta, is mandatory. Post-processing from obliques to 3D rendering become very, very critical. And even the simple things of measuring becomes very critical. Centerline measuring is what you need to be uh, reproducible and what you need to be accurate. So with that, hopefully I've given you two lectures on the thoracic aorta, and hopefully you found them both truly helpful. Thanks very much.